said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your Pete time? Pete McCormick, my guest today, who is a world-famous writer, producer, director, juggler, family man, father, chef, <laughs> uh, chef. Uh, uh, wannabe dentist. I don't know. What, what else do you do? Enough. That's it. I'm in dental school right now. It's driving me crazy. I just it's, it's created a cavity in my life. All right. So quick, quick background story. Uh, when Sex at Dawn came out, uh, I got an email from this guy named Pete McCormick somewhere in Canada saying uh, that he'd enjoyed the book. And uh, I guess we Skyped, right? We talked on Skype. And Pete mentioned that he'd made a film uh, about Muhammad Ali or sort of about people who had been involved with Muhammad Ali. And I mentioned how much I admired Muhammad Ali. A couple days later, FedEx arrived at my house with a DVD of Pete's film, which Casilda and I sat down and watched, and we were gobsmacked. We were smacked by gob. Uh, <laughs> Beware of gob. <laughs> there was gob all over the place. And uh, That's going to be a sign on the door. What do you think? Like, Beware of dog? Beware, Beware of gob. gob. <laughs> In Canada only, right? Gob and dangerous. Gob loves you. you know? uh, anyway, so we, uh, yeah, we were, we were blown away. It's, uh, it's an amazing film called Facing Ali, which was shortlisted for an Oscar and, uh, you know, blue minds all over the world. It, what, what's so cool about the film, there are many things that are cool about the film from, from very basic things like the way it's shot, the lighting, you know, the, the just real technical things are amazing, but, what really blew my mind was how you managed to get these tough motherfuckers to reveal so much of their heart on camera, you know. And I assumed when I saw the film, because you don't appear in the film at all. We don't even hear your voice. It's all, you know, no narrator. We just see what they're saying. I mean, Joe, Joe Frazier tears up you know the guy talks about his kids committing suicide or, or overdosing George on drugs and his, and his wife committing suicide amazingly revealing just opening up their hearts and so i just assumed you were this soft-spoken quiet laid-back guy and then i met you and like i still don't understand how the hell you did it i, I don't i don't i don't know what happened there no, I, I just um i relax more when i'm in that in that setting yeah you know it turns yeah, out i saw that I get, in preparation i'm a little hyper but then once you're there you're really there to well one of the interesting meditative aspects of interviewing is to actually when you ask a question they answer the question and they've kind of evaded avoided something or that just it's just a, not a great answer or it's just a simple answer is to not fill in the space between after they've responded which is not easy for me with friends we're always overlapping with conversation and stuff but in, in an interview is to just wait that out and if you wait that space out just looking at them without freaking out they tend to go oh yeah and by the way after that i had you know my, my they tell the deeper story um it's just human nature to fill that empty space um and i don't appear on camera when i talk because i don't talk very clearly for the most part um when i'm interviewing i uh, my questions are circuit circuit what's the word circuitous exactly see so um 
I, I do that, so I try to fill in some, I try to prepare them with the question itself quite often, like dropping in little ideas of where I'm trying to go. And so, you know, it's just, and I, and I like my subjects that I'm talking to. That sounds like Mussolini, didn't it? I, I enjoy my subjects. I'm from a high balcony when I interview um, the, um, El Duce. But no, I, I like, I, I generally go with the idea of, being not a fan, but being really well versed in their life, right? And and I come in, I approach it as I'm interested in what you have to say. I'm not here to pass judgment. Whether no matter what you are, even when I've done films that are you know heavily political, um, uh, I, I don't I, I go there to to bring the the information out of right. a person, and that's done by knowing who they are, by really wanting to listen to them, I think, and by being affectionate. And also that stance allows me to be much more prepared in the interview to remember not to do the obvious or at least right. I forget to do the obvious like with Joe Fraser right. Joe Fraser is such an easy guy to rile up God bless him by the way he's gone now but to rile him up against Ali that's what everybody does wasn't Ali a prick to you and he did this and, he, and then he goes yeah, that might have, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know and you get this thing going on instead of saying man to man what was it all about for you and, and, and now you see him so badly uh, Ali so you know in such a difficult condition with his body and Joe was also in pain at the time and it made him emotional so it's it's trying to trying to take different approaches and see things hopefully a little bit wider than they're sometimes seen but it's yeah. you know they're also great subjects so you can't you know what I mean they're really charismatic you know I've had I've had the good fortune to interview a lot of really great uh, uh, people who have who have great charisma and great intensity and great information. And so it makes it easy too. you know, you've done wonders for my six degrees of separation uh, quotient. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why, that's why, that's why Gob put me on earth. (laughs) (laughs) Praise Gob. (laughs) And uh, seriously though, I mean, knowing you puts me like one step from, Noam Chomsky, Kobe Bryant, uh, Joe Frazier, you know. Well, that's it's, good because like, even though I've interviewed them, I'm still one step from e- them. Idi Amin or something. Did you talk to Idi Amin? After he was dead. He died in about 2000 in Saudi Arabia of all places. You know, the, the American-friendly nation. Like, yeah. Who hosts, yeah. They don't host terrorists like, like those other places in right, Saudi Arabia. Right. They just host Idi Amin. Yeah. But I think he died in Saudi Arabia in 2000 or something. But, yeah. Yeah, that was like, I, but of course, with, referring to Uganda, of course. Right. Pete, one of Pete's earlier films is called Uganda rising right yeah. and about heavy. Uh, yeah heavy very very heavy but the um lord's resistance army there and joseph coin yeah the 2012 um man of the year or whatever happened to him this year on that crazy uh yeah the um, guy who made the film lost his mind yeah, i read yeah. something about hopefully that it's come back because that's a, that's a, that was heavy man heavy. well apparently he like at least the the account of it that i read he sort of like spun out into internet fame like he couldn't sleep he couldn't mm-hmm. stop you know checking his twitter account and facebook and you know mm-hmm. he just always had more and more followers i check and, mine but it's blank yeah you know? well and then Actually, you I'm go to twitter, bed right yeah. it's lucky you <laughs> i go to he, he, he poor guy went crazy i go to bed with depression it's a totally different <laughs> thing no that you know you got to wonder man that that thing just took off and yeah. then suddenly you've exposed your child in that film a lot you've exposed all kinds of ideas and you become open to a lot of um people are going to look into, into that and see where you really come from and then that the, the idea of the the Christian right and the evangelical they were uh, funding it funding or it and stuff yeah, I mean yeah. wh- whether that's good or bad we don't know I mean but uh, that's open to a, an interpretation but um, uh, it was so it, 
hit pretty hard. And then, of course, sometimes in life, the, the waves of whatever they are that hit us, that knock us to knock us down, come at certain times. So maybe it was just a coincidence the way they hit. But uh, that was a lot. Hope the guy's doing better. That's for sure. Yeah, he was doing a lot of work there. He and the guys that he was working with when we were doing Uganda Rising. So they were already going on there. We're, we took a totally different tact. We were really, we didn't find it to be some sort of like just pointing at Joseph Coyne, Joseph Coyne as this madman. Of course, he's a psychotic madman and is, is, is brutal and horrific and heinous. But the whole treatment of the, the, the people in the north and mostly the Acholi people um, put into camps by the government itself there and then left vulnerable to the Lord's resistance army and all those kind of things that those guys didn't really, they don't, they didn't want to, they didn't want that. They wanted sort of a, the old traditional black and white sort of American good guy, bad guy. And of course we, there are bad guys. There was really bad guys and then re really, really bad guys. It's just not yeah. the way that it's just very nuanced this world, you know, and there's a, there's a separation in the North and the South in, in Uganda. That's quite strong. The South didn't even know what was going on on some level. Of course, Museveni, the, pre the, the president knew, but the people and other people knew, but as a general rule, the populace didn't seem to know much of what was going on. But, uh, you know, didn't, it, didn't Obama there's, there's, just send like 500 special forces guys? I don't think down it was there? 500. Maybe it was, but they, he did send some forces down there. That's it's so, an interesting thing. This guy's just been running around the Congo now for you know a decade. Um, so that must um, be a strange trip to well, be one of those soldiers. Yeah, well, of course, suddenly in the jungle in Uganda. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Black Hawk there's down, some my weird stuff Black going down. on. You know, I'm sure. But what's interesting is that we just mentioned the Congo there for two seconds. That's right. how the world works. Uh, I don't know how the world works, but that's how the media works. The Congo has been a disaster full of treasures forever. for people oh, yeah. <laughs> forever for sure in the 1920s and 30s uh, with King Leopold from sure. Belgium owning sure. it like a like a corporation literally never even setting foot in that place and and just raping it of its people and five to ten million people died there and that's where the I don't know the original cutting of hands happened cutting off of hands but that was definitely a prominent yeah. part of the the technique of making those poor uh, people uh, gather rubber. Um, it's sort of defeating, ironically, at the end when you're cutting off hands and wanting to gather, uh, get, you know, bring as much rubber as possible for the um, the uh, fortunes of uh, the colonial power. But um, also, um, the Congo in the last 10 or 15 years has lost, uh, you know, like 10 million people have died in the Congo. And it's sort of unknown. It is its own Holocaust. Yeah. And yet, it's also got a lot of the stuff we need for our computers. It's got a lot right. of diamonds and it's right. got a lot of interesting um resources and so i i'm not going to sound like it's that that's the exact cause and effect because i don't really know that all those who can predict or those and you know what else it's got it's the only place in the world where there are still bonobos living in the wild is that right there's all the live free living bonobos are in congo wow wow tough place if, to be on one hand, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible place to be, right? Because there's soldiers wandering through the jungle with AK-47 shooting them for food. But on the other side, I guess, in some ways, development would be worse. I, I don't know. They, if the bonobo can remain happy due to their techniques and their lovemaking <laughs> powers in, in the Congo under that kind of pressure, we, we need to we need to write the book on the bonobo. Well, you you have written the book on the bonobo. No, but no, no. Franz Duval has written great books about yeah, bonobos. Yeah, yeah. Well, you brought them, you, you, you highlighted them in a way that said, you know, perhaps they have some um, uh, we are inspired somewhat by the bonobo behavior not just the chimp behavior and that was a great aspect yeah. of your book yeah yeah that that's all anyone who's interested in friend in uh, bonobos has to read Franz Duvall's stuff he he's really blazed the trail there and I'll tell you Franz Duvall uh, 
for listeners who don't know who he is, he's a Dutch primatologist, wrote a lot about chimpanzee politics. Uh, he wrote a book actually called Chimpanzee Politics about uh, coalition building in chimp societies and all that. Do they have like a NATO as well and everything? Those, those? They, they definitely have a like a cabinet, you know. <laughs> yeah, they, they form shifting coalitions. Yeah, it's all male dominated. The, the females are, you know, sort of excluded from the halls of power and and uh yeah that's chimpanzee chimpanzees yeah, yeah. yeah and often uh the the alpha you know the ultimate alpha male is not the biggest strongest chimp he's just the clever one who knows how to play the others off against each wow. other it feels like animal farm a little bit suddenly doesn't yeah. it orwellian yeah. yeah anyway friends of all then he got into uh altruism and 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 writing about uh, you know, sort of the softer side of things and, and, uh, looking at how animals and specifically primates cooperate. And he put up with a lot of crap for even raising the issue. And he wrote a few books about bonobos. He talks about how, you know, like BBC or American, uh, stations, uh, networks were interested in doing specials about the bonobos, but, uh, they backed out because bonobos fuck too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, we can't tell that story. It's funny. It's you, you say, we sell everything with that, with, with sex and fucking, but we can't show bonobos fucking. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. But you've got a picture of a bonobo with balls the size of grapefruits. That's, that's pretty impressive, <laughs> that picture you have that you show in your talk. I, yeah. I mean, those things, I mean, if those things explode, they would, they would, they would make their own coalition. And I, and I love, I love his attitude to that bonobo. He's just like lying he, yeah, yeah. back. He knows know. he's the man. It's like he needs a joint in his hand. <laughs> does a bonobo win the, with big balls know he's the man or know he's the bonobo how does it work you know <laughs> just uh, something yeah. about having massive balls it's crazy but you know this debate laugh. this debate between who, uh, who we are or what our roots are are interesting even now there's this our friend uh, Eric Johnson the, the primatologist who has the great uh, blog the Prim primate diaries primate he diaries, just wrote yeah. a, a sort of a tried to do a sort of a, a mending of uh, a ways between Richard Dawkins and I can't remember the other guy that just wrote a paper about Richard Dawkins just annihilating oh, this guy E.O. Wilson E.O. Wilson yeah E.O. Wilson of course about the difference between I think it's um, uh, you know uh, the selfish gene idea or the, the right. individual multi -level gene multi-level selection multi-level selections yeah. and stuff and I mean they're, they're just fanatical about it I mean Richard Dawkins God love him came at him like a chimp you know what yeah. I mean he just came yeah. out with a chimp technique he had his coalition of people and just tore him apart and, yeah. and Eric, Eric did a beautiful job of balancing those two ideas and how they're actually coming on misinformation yeah. not misinformation but it's what your um, uh, um, original premise is that makes such a difference in all these arguments and it's true you know people yeah. say do you believe in God and the question's a disaster because the question is what do you mean by God right you know and that's not defined by the questioner or generally the 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 person answering the question yeah uh, or yeah. god or anything else what do you yeah. mean by gene what do you mean by selfish what do you mean by altruistic and so we battle these things out but um, do you think the bonobos and the chimps will ever go to war against each other and for a more peaceful primate world you know <laughs> yeah, the chimps would would wipe them out you know first because there are so many more chimps secondly because yeah. bonobos don't fight you know yeah, yeah. It would be it would be like skinheads against hippies, you know. You know, it just. But and yet, but, more hippies remain to this day. I think. Oh, maybe not. No, I'm wrong about that. Are there more skinheads in the world or hippies? That's a great. That's a great study right now. Let's take a poll with our readers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, skinhead listeners. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think we have any skinhead listeners. <laughs> any hippies? Uh, I'm sure we got a few hippies. Um, but uh, interestingly, along those lines, Franz Duvall, the great Franz Duvall. Uh, 
with one of his grad students did a study where they I don't remember the specific species, but there were there uh, maybe they're macaques or, or some sort of monkey where one subspecies is uh, very relaxed, cooperative. You know, they they groom each other freely and everything. And the other subspecies is uh, very competitive, and a lot of conflict and fighting and so on. And they wanted to look at this question, like what happens if you take you know, some of the violent ones and put them in the group with the peaceful ones and vice versa. And what they found was that, you know, people like Dawkins, these hard ass, you know, sort of he would hate to hear me say this, but he's sort of a right winger. Dawkins and and Pinker even more so um, are in some ways uh, it's hard to dare we say fundamentalist <laughs> well certainly fundamentalist <laughs> but in, not fun in, in, but <laughs> no, they're, they're brilliant guys in their own yeah. right that's what's more, interesting more pinker about than dawkins mm-hmm. dawkins is more complicated but uh you know what happens is they they assume in their theories that I think they call it the freeloader uh, concept where you, there can't possibly have been these cooperative groups because all you need is one freeloader to come along and take advantage of the situation. And, you know, that means it would be impossible. Like if everyone shares food and I come along and say, yeah, fuck all you guys, I'm going to eat your food, but I'm never going to do a, a lick of work. Uh, this, is, this is like every family, actually. So what's the big deal? You can, I mean, it can work it out. You well, know? you can see how it aligns with right wing politics, mm-hmm. right? You know, welfare queens and all that kind of stuff. They're taking advantage of the system. But what actually happens is that when someone enters into that sort of a cultural context, they want to work. They they want to go hunting and bring food and, and because it as relates to their status and how much they're loved, right? But anyway, with the monkeys, what Franz Duval and those his grad students did was they brought in the violent monkey in with the, the relaxed monkeys and they found the violent monkey chilled out and started like sleeping in a big pile with all the other ones, you know? And vice versa, when they took the peaceful monkeys and introduced them into the violent group, the violent group calmed down. There's also a great uh, uh, situation in Kenya the recounted by Robert Sapolsky, another amazing scientist at Stanford. Uh, he's a neuroscientist and a primatologist. He was studying a troop of baboons who are famously hard to get along with um, for 20 years. Every summer hence he the, went hence back. Hence the insult, you baboon. Yeah. Well, he said something like there was some he was talking with another primatologist and the primatologist said something like. Oh, what was it? It was something like, you know, chimps are what baboons would would be like if, you know, they had five times the brain capacity or something. And a little marijuana. Yeah, they're just stupid. But he tells a story about two baboons who were like both hiding behind trees and sort of like they would peek out and stare at each other and then go back behind the tree and neither, and they were frozen in place because neither one they were both afraid to come out from behind their tree and then they both fell asleep leaning against their forehead against the tree that is an interesting story except it it, it aptly describes my own life so i can't you know i just look around trees for a while and i fall asleep <laughs> fall and hope asleep. something comes to me so i can write the next day you know maybe make a film anyway sapolsky's were getting really sidetracked but sapolsky's uh, story is that there so he, the baboons are very hierarchical very violent male male centered 
And so there was a, a hotel that was built in the Maasai area where this troop lived. And there was a, a dump where the hotel would dump their stuff from the kitchen or whatever. And apparently there was some, some meat that was uh, tainted with tuberculosis. So what happened was the baboons were at the dump. The high status males get the best food and, you know, keep everyone else away from it. So the high status males got this contaminated meat. And suddenly the, the top, the upper echelon of this bonobo troop was dead. So it was like if, you know, if the Pentagon and the White House just exploded one day and and Wall Street, you know, what would happen? You know, the whole entire society was decapitated. So he thought, well, you know, what's going to happen is some outside males are going to come into this group and it's going to be rape and pillage, you know, baboon vikingry. And but what actually happened was the troop developed a much more relaxed, egalitarian way of dealing with things. And then when these outside males came into the troop, as expected, uh, they didn't import their violent, domineering style. They adapted to the egalitarian style of the troop. Mm-hmm. It's a numbers game, maybe. Like, a, like a, the coalition was could be was pretty strongly um, um, relaxed, and you couldn't break it. You know. Yeah, there's a great book called. Although this is a difficult. This is the. T- this is almost the question that Gandhi got asked with um, what you know with his with his uh, civil disobedience, right. nonviolent civil disobedience. Of course, Gandhi was profoundly more. Uh, had more um, had more admiration for the m- person who fought violently for the cause than the, the pacifist who wouldn't fight. Right. Ironically, right. so he wasn't against violence per se. He was against he, he what he loathed the most was weak pacifism. That's what he really loathed. Yeah, Gandhi. Yeah, it was a really interesting uh, comment. I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was really interesting. But the question was, but what would you have done with Hitler? You know, like would your what would have happened there? And he said, and the the, the answer is interesting because fifty million people died or uh, uh, in World War Two. Right. So how bad could it? What what would have been worse? You know, it's it, it's a it's a it's a really profound question. Could some sort of non Civil, nonviolent, civil disobedience have been useful or not against the, these powers if if you gathered up enough people in it. But it's a it's a moot point now, and it's also a difficult question at any any point because some people are extremely violent coming at you. But it's interesting that these violent apes came in or ape, uh, uh, baboons. baboons came in and, and and didn't penetrate with their violence per se. Yeah, so. yeah. It- it certainly says something about the. Were there some maybe some really really good looking baboons in the in the in the happy group or you know and they just said you know what this is kind of fun I can relax a little I'm sick of being so yeah. militant you know well is I mean the the whole Charles Manson uh, phenomenon is interesting like what is it that's so scary about Charles Manson is it is it the the sort of like sa- the 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 hippie thing souring and that's. Because, I mean, you know, how many hippie murderers really were there? Well, and don't forget. He I, didn't kill anyone. That's what's interesting yeah. about him. I, yeah. mean, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, he, well, I guess what's dangerous about that is that you can influence people to kill is also very uh, uh, frightening. And also, I guess in, in L.A. Yeah, I mean, Hitler didn't kill anyone, did he? Yeah, well, he was, uh, you know, ironically, no, I don't think he killed. He, he fought in World War One, of course, with yeah. some strange. He was wounded. Yeah, and supposedly he was quite full of uh, courage and he was just dismayed upon the surrender. But uh Let's not sing any praises for Hitler, of yeah. course. You know, I, you know, human nature, the, the expanse of human nature and the spectrum that we can live, up, live along and live upon is just remarkable to me. I mean, there's just no way to know what could happen next. 
And suddenly Chris pulled out a knife and stabbed me in the forehead. And it was just such a surprise to me to be <laughs> The killed. forehead would be the wrong place to and stab And also someone. on a podcast, it's stupid. Like, it's not even on the air. You know, like, imagine, that. I guess sound effects would be, ah! ah! And my, my coconut hitting the ground, you know? Uh, with, with, sounding like a baboon ball. Or no, no, it was a, it was a bonobo ball, wasn't it? Just poosh. The bouncing, follow the bouncing. <laughs> so let's explain to people why you're here anyway. Or we're here I'm here in because Vancouver. you're in my kitchen. Yeah, I'm in you your know, kitchen. <laughs> what can I do? You knock on the door with a couple of, couple of microphones and what am I going to say to this guy? I've never met him before. I don't even know what. I, but well, we didn't continue from the meeting when we when we met and so on what we're doing. So maybe we could talk. Right, about right. So uh, I was looking for a way to get Casilda to quit her job as a as a psychiatrist in Spain. And uh, it seemed like the only way I could convince her to to take a break was to go somewhere new. And Pete and I had been talking about uh, working together. And I actually, at first, we were talking about writing a screenplay for a feature film. Were we? Yeah. Remember, I pitched you the idea about the professor oh, and yeah. he, he has an affair yeah. with his student and all yeah, that. Yeah. Apparently, it wasn't very good. Pete forgot about <laughs> no, it. No, I remember now. What, what a waste yeah. of time we've done not working on that. Now, this is the rest of it has been this docuseries is worth nothing to me now without that beautiful... Um, so anyway, I so Casilda and I decided to come to Vancouver for the summer, partly just because Vancouver is amazing, and uh, the summer only lasts about three weeks. I, I know, know that is yeah. been, been a short one. Um, but anyway, uh, Pete and I have spent the summer working on a TV docu series, which we'll be pitching in what September, October, now, soon. Yeah, soon. Been, it's been yeah. really great. It's been really fun. It's been a really, f a really uh, enjoyable development. Yeah, figuring out exactly what would might be said and how it could be said on, on, on uh, you know pushing on, the limits we're definitely going to push the limits so we'll see we'll see if it happens what's the title my friend sex drive turn on the truth yeah with Dr. Christopher Ryan yeah. <laughs> Dr. Christopher Ryan Ryan Ryan, Ryan. yeah that's right call me doctor no uh, you can trust me I'm it'll be fun yeah 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 and I yeah. play one on TV yeah I uh, know it's going to be great I really feel excited about it and we just shot a little uh, a little uh, mini sizzler or just Chris, yeah. Chris ranting and it was he, it was great I and, ranted uh, on camera and you know what I learned I learned that I like reading from a teleprompter. Well, that's interesting. I like I'm it. glad you gave that away so now everybody knows it's a teleprompter. That was really wise, my friend. <laughs> the point of using a teleprompter is that no one knows you use a teleprompter. Now everyone knows you use a teleprompter. Of course, I, I, that was the first thing we did, but when you when you ad libbed after that, which I'm going to oh, use. Oh, the ad libbing. Yeah. Oh, magic, the ad -libbing magical. Was even magical. Yeah. But, no, but I, I could go through like my entire life with a teleprompter, like, you know, set one up by the, at the headboard of the bed, you know. Is that an ego issue, you think, when you really want to, with your own life on a teleprompter in front of you? I'm reading my own story again, hon. Oh, yeah, but no, that was great. It's just like always knowing what to say. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah, you get it right. You get but then it right. even afterward, you said, damn, I should have yeah, written. Yeah, it's true. You know? Even with a teleprompter, even, I, I even, had regrets. Even, so know this, everybody. Even with a teleprompter, there are, life has regrets. So you can't, you can't rewrite the story completely. Completely, right. you know. Yeah, there's, there's always another. Although many take. have tried, you know, Henry Kissinger and so on. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so we've been working on this TV series, and and where the idea of the TV series is that we are going to have an open-minded, intelligent examination of the sorts of things that no one else has looked at on TV, that no one has dared to look at, because according to Pete and me. According to Pete and I, according to Pete and me. I is, me is, to, me are, you are, me, I don't to know. To Pete, to me. <laughs> There's some whom somewhere in there, too. <laughs> the American, uh, American sexual culture is at a tipping point. Damn it. We're not sure where it's tipping, but there's something going on for sure. Yeah, I mean, 
You know, I watched. You know what it is? It's really. It's not that it's at a tipping point totally. It's that it's at a time to expand the conversation. And, yeah, and that's all. You know, just well, to, I, well as we say, be free in, to in, speak in the, the rant. Truth. It's be, like be to speak, free to speak your truth. Actually, someone else. You know, because there's a lot of truths out there. Well, a lot of very sort of uh, established belief systems are collapsing, mm-hmm. right? And people are and looking at things in new ways yeah. and looking for new ways to do things. I've been watching this. Uh, you know, and ironically, they might improve the old institutions. Well, they might not. It's, you know, it just yeah. might improve the. It doesn't mean that those institutions have to go. It's not like total revolution. It's not a Maoist, right? For God's sake. Uh, well, a little flexibility, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little more honesty and a little yeah. more openness, and a little. Exactly. And you can throw kindness in your honesty. It's not like you have sure. to, you know. So, it doesn't mean that's the end of the nuclear family or monogamy or anything else. It means let's let's open the discussion to these problems that 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 rot it rot these things from the inside. Sometimes I did a, a thing the last time I was in New York. I I taped a, a session with Big Think. It's a website. Yesterday they posted, I mean, this was six months ago I did it, right? Yesterday they, they posted a, a little a two minute thing that I, where I was talking about, um, it was like the, the title they gave it is How Darwin Can Save Your Marriage. And it was a point where I was saying, look, if we're a little more flexible, a little more accommodating of human nature and understanding where people are coming from, instead of freaking out that, you know, your wife, might be attracted to another guy or that your husband looks at porn occasionally or whatever. If we keep focused on what's important about marriage, which is, which goes far beyond sex and attraction and these sort of, you know, transitory things, it'll actually strengthen marriage, right? They posted this yesterday, 24 hours ago. It's already got 15,000 views, 500 and some comments. It's like, going nuts exciting. <clears throat> yeah exciting. so i mean to me that definitely and and the sound quality is terrible because the something's wrong with the microphone so yeah it well you also like, you're you're hairier than a great ape you know so maybe that's something to do with it just <laughs> it rubbing getting a brazilian <laughs> wax while speaking on camera well you know that it, it is interesting with the, the the you know we claim to want what do you if you ask someone what do you want in your relationship i want honesty yeah it's a really you really do you, you want really? honesty yeah and, and honesty can be so kind it's not that it's unkind it's just that it's it's just that um you know the idea that just to be able to speak a little bit more of our truths might not be so t- such a bad thing, but people live on different spectrums of jealousy and different spectrums of of, of fear, and and so uh, there's no there's no um, uh, panacea for any of these things. I find it's just being able to talk one's own truth to someone else, and yeah. and if you can't, and do you want to know who your partner really is anyway? And if you me? don't, you know, your entire relationship's based on a lie. Yeah, yeah. I I, I told you I was watching the show uh, Laura Ling, Our America last night and one of the episodes was about uh transgender people and and uh one of the most moving segments is um you know a a person who started out as a man and 40 some years of age two kids married decides i gotta be a woman right i've always been a woman and i can't i can't do this anymore he was becoming suicidal and you know very self-destructive and so, you know, he started going down this path. And the at this point, it's post-surgical, post-hormones, all that. And uh, he's still married. And they interviewed the wife and the kids, the two sons who are in their 20s now. And but the relationship with with the wife is just amazing. And she's like, well, we go out and, you know, people think we're girlfriends and, you know, we, we go shopping and they, they tape them shopping together and like deciding which dress to buy and all that. And like I see that and it's like, look at that. Look at the love there. Right. And she says the the wife says, like, look, OK, it's been weird, but 
that's still the same person. You know, I love the heart of this person. It's not about the image, you know. And the fact is, you marry someone when they're 25, you know, they're gorgeous, they're young, they're buff, they're they're not going to be that way in 30, 40 years. They are going to be in a different body. Might not, it'll still probably be the same gender, you know, but it's and also, a different you're probably, you're probably not advocating the idea like this marriage isn't working. Should one of us become transgendered? You know, that's not the advocate, you know. <laughs> I'm not advocating <laughs> anything. No, I think you but, are, Chris. Uh, and this is the problem. This is the problem in America is that you're pushing your agenda down my throat to uh, become transgendered, Chris. Isn't it funny how forcing things down our throat is such a, a Republican trope? I mean, they are really obsessed. Rick Santorum couldn't stop talking about things getting forced down his throat. Well, maybe he's lonely. I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works, you know. Rick Santorum probably has some great, great qualities, you know. Um, yeah, know. yeah, I'm sure. He's he probably does. loyal. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually to tell you the truth, personally, I'm not really big on right and left. They, they cease to have meaning anymore. In fact, yeah. right and left now becomes a discussion of whether you believe in gay rights and whether you believe in, uh, you know, same sex marriage, gay rights, and, and, and whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. It used to have left wing used to have meanings of class distinctions and fighting for those kind of ideas. Right. That's been obliterated. It's been obliterated since, uh, president Clinton, ironically, or Reagan. No, but by Reagan, but I'm talking about the, the left or so-called left, the democratic party. Oh, I obliterating see. their own platform the to left, fit in. We right. believe in free trade and right. and there's no such thing as free trade anyway. I mean right. everything is subsidized from from you know agriculture to high finance the big businesses they're all subsidized yeah so i the right and left i, I don't use it too much anymore you yeah. know i've got plenty of libertarian instincts yeah. that are important to me and that the the left ignores heavily not the libertarians i not they don't ignore libertarians only they don't understand the importance of certain um, sort of innate rights. I'm not saying I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a pure libertarian by any stretch, but these terms become, yeah. um, the problem become, with libertarianism is it's so easily co-opted by big business. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm free. Well, then I'm yeah, free to yeah, dump my shit yeah. in the that's river. A, that's a much know? more, that's a much more American libertarianism than the traditional European huh. uh, libertarianism actually, which is almost like a, what's called a sort of a social, not a socialist libertarian, but a social libertarianism, which is much less, um, about I have my house and I've got I'm armed and I'm armed to the yeah. hilt and if you come near me I'll kill you. Right. Um, um, which sometimes is useful if you're getting uh, you know uh, attacked in your house, but um, rarely in Canada, rarely. very rarely. Although I loved it when Michael Moore had the all the doors unlocked in Toronto when he was showing how safe Canada is, and I don't think anybody has the doors unlocked in Toronto. I don't know. <laughs> I think he must have an aunt in Toronto who left the door open. Michael, I'll leave the door open for you. <laughs> Just come in and film. Um, but uh, God love Michael Moore, you know. But um, so anyway, my point being is, is it is an interesting thing about right and left i find that i find the the left absurdly um um uninteresting too mm. <laughs> yeah. i find i find here's the problem for me the bandwidth of actual political discourse is so tight just like the book you're talking about just like you know the idea of expanding ideas right. you can't leave the bandwidth so yeah. i don't really care about left and right because it's not very left and not very right or it's extremely left or extremely right i don't even know which but the bandwidth is small of what we should actually be talking about yeah. in, in, in in political discourse just like the bandwidth is so small in sexual discourse and when that when that happens those those little bandwidths leak out and we have so we don't talk about sex we just sell everything with sex we can't show our boobs right. we can just sell with boobs you know right yeah and like then, we declare that that honesty is important in our relationship and yet we're not really honest it's a small bandwidth of what we mean by honesty we're, we're more honest with you know hookers a lot of a lot of prostitutes say the you know the, the reason the men are there isn't really for the sex it's for being able to be honest with a woman just lie there and tell the truth mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. what you're into about what you're feeling what you're going through in your life because 
home is the last place you can be honest. So you can be more thought. honest it's, with your buddies really, at the bar. It's a know? really unfortunate thought. Yeah, know? yeah. It's it's what a world. What a crazy what a world. world. We're gonna work through it. We're gonna work through it today. Right so now sex drive. Morning. Turn on the truth. We're gonna talk about. I mean, Pete, Pete wants to save the animal fucking for season two. I want to get right in there. I, I want to get right. <laughs> we have this discussion all the time. I don't even know where he's going with. it. I don't know what he wants to do with it. I don't know. All I know is that he shouldn't have pets. That's all I'm saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to talk about. You know, I, I want to ask these these taboo questions. Like, if someone's having sex with a goat and the goat doesn't seem to mind, the goat's like not kicking or running away. Is there really anything wrong with that? I think that's a legitimate question. How how is it possible you can raise an animal, slaughter it and eat it, but it's illegal to have sex hey, with? Hey, you're it? talking to a vegetarian right now, you know. <laughs> I don't I don't eat or sleep with animals it turns out. <laughs> right. I love my wife. Uh, another thing we want to look at is I've heard from reliable sources, people who work at Victoria's Secret in London that one of their biggest client bases are Islamic women who come in there and buy super sexy lingerie, and that's what they wear under their burqas. Back in Saudi Arabia and That's what I'd wear Kuwait. under. If I was wearing a burqa, that's what I'd wear yeah, under. Yeah, you don't want to wear anything no, under yeah, there, yeah, right? But, um, there's, a, there's a book about that, too, called Nine Parts of Desire, I think it was called. Ah, right. Okay. It's really interesting, yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, yeah, we're, we're, you know, you, uh, the religion you're in will not make you a non-sexual being. It's built into the gene code. Right. So, uh, we're And on, apparently there's a lot of sexiness in Islam, it's just you know behind closed doors or behind the burqa, as mm -hmm. it were. Yeah, I mean, what other religion? You know, it, Mark Twain talked about how ridiculous it is that uh, in Christian heaven, the one thing that's missing is the one thing that we enjoy most on earth: sex. Mm -hmm. Right? There's no mm -hmm. sex in heaven. How can that be? He didn't want uh, to go there. If that was there, I don't want to go yeah, there. Yeah, you know? yeah. But you know, and also, at least there's enough, sex in Islamic heaven. It's very, paradise. you know, it was it was it was very standard in certain periods and aspects of the Christian religion in the 1900s uh, to cover your head. It still is, I think. And Amish still cover their head, I think, to a certain degree, right. at least in church. And and I, I think these things, you know, one's got to see where they go. I mean, I mean, the, the, the ideas of the, the fund the Abrahamic religions are quite fundamental in that area. When they're right. fundamental in that area, this is what that, what happens. It's, it's the women are the problem. There was a great situation in, in India in the seventies where there was some women get being raped and in the, oh, that's in, a great situation. In, in, no, it's, yeah. sorry. That was, a, that was, see, this is why, you're, this is why I'm your not run on, for Congress. This, just is why, ended. <laughs> this is why I'm not on camera in my, in my interviews and films, because I get to say the wrong thing, but I'm going to, Twist that and, and right. defend the Let's cause. See you get out of so this. Indira Gandhi, not 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 Gandhi, Indira Gandhi, the female um, uh, prime minister at the time or uh, leader of, of India, the, came upon the Senate to say we have to do something to protect these women. Let's have a curfew for 10, 10 p.m. or nine p.m. for women. They can't come out of that time. And Indira Gandhi said, "Why is the curfew on women?" Right. Put the curfew on men. They're not raping. Anyone. They're not raping anybody. Exactly. Yeah. So we, the fundamentalist idea seems to both claim to protect the women and oppress them. Right. You know. I mean, if you want to wear a burqa, that should be your own decision, I guess. You know. I mean, but it it, it always takes the male chimpanzee baboon kind right. of take on it, where you're, where you're, where you know best, and you're the cruelest right. at the same time. It's right. really a weird, weird trip. It is a weird trip. Where now? Yeah. We, we have we have silence. We have we're, the, 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 yeah radio the, silence. Yeah, dead that, air. That'd be a good name it. for the podcast. Dead radio air. silence. Or just dead, dead air. <laughs> dead air with Doctor Christopher. No, deadly air. That way it sounds different. Then it's not quite dead air. <laughs> like deadly dead air. air. You dead know? air is a funny name for a podcast. Deadair.com. <laughs> we're gonna fill it with life. <laughs> we're gonna breathe life into dead air. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. So, so you've done a film about Uganda, a film about uh, Muhammad Ali. We haven't even mentioned your last film, which is I Am Bruce Lee, which smashed audience records on Spike TV the night it, it was released uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, another fantastic film. Another, I mean, I know I, I grew up as you did. I'm a little older than you, I think, but, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee were two great heroes, both because they were tough ass motherfuckers, but they were so much more than that. They were that, you know, they weren't Walker, Texas Ranger, whatever that guy's name is, you know, the, Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris, God right? Love him. No, well, I, don't, I, I tried to get him for the film. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. I heard yeah, he didn't want to go on there and if they were, in case they were gangsters. They didn't want to go on the film if they were gangsters in the film. And I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound great, does it? If you think about that too specifically. But anyway. Gangsters. Yeah. What about that Aikido guy? That idiot. Uh, uh, Seagal. Yeah. Steven, Steven Seagal. Seagal. I, yeah, I, well, whatever. I don't know much about Steven Seagal, except we did interview, um, we did interview uh, the great Jean LaBelle, the famous judo guy who supposedly choked Steven Seagal out on a, on a, on a, on a television set once or a film set once. But that's as far as close as we got. I, I, I mean, I talked to some Aikido guys. I studied Aikido for a while and all of them hate Steven Seagal because mm -hmm. the whole point of Aikido is you're not a tough guy. You're not going around beating people up. A man's got to make a living though. You know what I mean? You didn't so. study judo or whatever, <laughs> you know, Aikido, the whole point of Aikido is that you're not into that stuff. You're, you're trying yeah. to diffuse conflict, yeah. you know, um, we're a mixed bag. He's yeah. expanding, he's expanding the art to include, you know, Hollywood and I don't know what, yeah. but uh, no, I, I mean, th yeah, those guys, Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali, they are, uh, they're remarkable in that they, they sort of transcend so many, uh, stereotypes and so many ideas and they seem largely unaffected by their race. In other words, people always said Bruce Lee was caught between two cultures in a way. And he wasn't in my, in my eyes at all, America and, 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 and China, uh, let's say, but he, he wasn't, he was quite comfortable in both and everyone else was fucked up about it. You right. know what I mean? So, uh, he, he was just the coolest dude. Yeah. And, um, and he was, what was he like the cha 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 champion of Hong Kong or something? Oh yeah. Supposedly 19 in 1958, he was the, you know, British, British colony, uh, you know, cha cha champion of Hong Kong. <laughs> he, he was, he could really dance. He could, he, he, yeah. he taught. He well, and you it. can see it in his martial he arts. He taught cha cha on the boat over. At 18. How about that? He taught it. He, taught he went it? from the lower decks to the upper decks by teaching cha-cha. Really? Yeah. On, the, on the boat. On the That's boat, amazing. yeah. And, uh, and of course, yeah, the fluidity in, of his movement. I mean, uh, Reg Hudlin, the, the director, producer that we interviewed, said that, that the dance, his, his flowing nature uh, brought into Kung Fu was what really um, made him appealing to the black community. They could really relate to his movement. Mm. And it really became popular because Kung Fu and, the, and that kind of fluid martial art that had not arrived in America until right. Bruce Lee, really. The, um, you know, karate had come in right. with um, World War II a lot. Which is actually. a much more rigid, mm -hmm. masculine kind of, kind of thing. Way yeah. of doing things. So, yeah. so uh, Bruce Lee brought in a whole new, uh, a whole new um, vision to be seen and then, right. and then of course he had tons of issues with martial arts and he didn't he, he thought one path to follow one path would be idiotic in other words if you were a kung fu master but you didn't have a ground game and the guy in the fight gets you on the ground good luck with your kung fu right. and if your ground game is all you've got and well, the Gracie's showed that the great Gracie family right. they won everything in the early UFC by having this incredible um, sort of um, judo uh, advanced judo techniques you know jiu-jitsu techniques where they would beat these massive guys, you know, like Hoist Gracie at 175 pounds would defeat these 300 pound 
guys that you would assume would kill him just by slowly anaconda <laughs> him out, you know? Right. But then right. people learned that and suddenly it wasn't the be all and end all and you right. can't win with that alone now. And so these guys, you know, people mock the UFC and these, there's a purely brute like um, force and a display of brutality. And of course it has all that in it, but um, these guys are, these guys are actually super trained. You know what I mean? You, there was a time when a big bar guy could fight in the UFC and have a shot at it. That's no long gone, man. Yeah. You'll just lose yeah. so fast. They, and they've mixed techniques, like uh, which was Bruce Lee's sort of spirit. Right, right. In the, in the first case, you have to know more than what you think you know. Right. Learn your fundamentals and then and then and then and and keep going. You know. Yeah. Is, and find you your own anything? way. Find your own way. But he's very much about also know what your what they call in India your dharma that that which you're meant to do, not right. your, not your duty, but that which you're built to do. Right. That's what your body tells you to do. Right. Bruce Lee was about that. I mean, if do what you're you have to find your own in that you know jeet kundo was find your own path through in my case it's arts, reading yeah. from a teleprompter i, <laughs> exactly. I just found and my just destiny found, and you can't stop i'm it, the next brian to order Williams. one online to have in your room is really <laughs> weird really man really weird you know and right now he's got his own book on a teleprompter <laughs> he just reads it to himself at night in bed it's so weird casilda is so frustrated about that you know <laughs> that, but well let's not talk about casilda's first i've written books too but i don't read them in bed well i do when i'm lonely and sad but it, they were novels it's different. okay do you know anything about about bruce lee's sexuality um, you know, his sexuality is, was a lot of hearsay later on, whether he was, whether he was, um, how, how promiscuous he was and so on. But all I can say with it, when you're a 30, when you're as handsome as he was at 30 years old and you're, and you're, you know, you're emblazoned with his fame suddenly, um, and you're full of, uh, what they call in India pitta or what they, you know, mm. his, his prana or his chi yeah. was high. I mean, this yeah. guy was a highly intense guy. Um, um, to, to think that he wouldn't be, and, and he was massively approached by women. Women loved him, and he was in Hollywood, and then in, and then sort of only in, women. He was in Hollywood. I've never heard anything about bisexuality or anything with Bruce Lee at all. Huh. Although I do know that um, that the, that gay men do love Bruce Lee. I yeah. mean, I mean um, Diana Inosanto, his goddaughter, did talk about that. That she says both her, that her gay friends and her and her female friends find him incredibly sexy. So of course that's it. But Bruce yeah. Lee, you know, uh, it was just a super charismatic guy. So. Yeah. It's like we always want to judge people by these things. You know, Martin Luther King, yeah, he was great, but he slept with women. The FBI have it on tape, you know, and I'm yeah. like, can you imagine the inner fire it takes to be Martin Luther King or or the strength it took to be Bruce Lee to keep going? And, and you know, he made four films in two years. His, last, his four films were made in two years. He, he sort of... Uh, rejigged uh, martial arts from the inside out and stood in that ground and, and he f fought against this, you know, the racism that was all around him at the time and uh, so he, he got, got passed over for all kung the fu the for kung david fu, yeah. carradine that's the that's the that's the legend of that story it's really you know it's really interesting and he had the idea in the first place yeah it was, it was a wild west story it was called the warrior and he was saying and his his point was we have to set it in the past you can't set it now because you just like pull out a gun and poosh, yeah kung fu doesn't work against right. the guns yeah the, in, in, the, in 1905 and i think it was 1905 at the turn of the century the boxer rebellion they actually believed they could fight against the uh, bullets with their with their chief force, you know, and they which brings out, us back to uh, which they could Uganda, incidentally, yeah, you know these uh, these these rebel groups in in Africa. I don't know if it was Uganda or Congo or where it was. And do you remember there was a group led by a woman, 
who believed that they had certain chance and magical that was uganda that, was it that was uganda they, that was pre-coin actually pre-joseph coin actually uh, right. and, and, and um he sort of tried to channel her spirit uh-huh. um but uh they 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 actually put up a good fight that early group uh, right. against uh, museveni's forces but then eventually they were just slaughtered when the firepower got too much but yeah they did sort of go in sort of ecstatic trances and right. she was sort of an uh animist come christian um uh sort of uh promoter let's say or you know like um the fire branding type of woman who's uh, alice aquina was her name ah uh, right and, okay and she right. would uh she died recently too i, I don't know where I, but that happens to what everybody. a life i know they all die yeah, yeah. hey uh, i was running today and, and i sort of had a smile on my face um knowing that that all our troubles and this sounds really you know like <laughs> mundane and, and sort of like it's been said before oh, yeah but all these troubles we carry and we're gonna be gone one day you you're know, gonna die crazy. one day i don't mean to give the end away but, but you're, you're gonna, gonna die, die one, one day. day isn't that a great song it's a great it's a great lyric carsey blanton uh, i think you you heard it at the beginning of the podcast you'll hear the whole song at the end that's yeah. a beautiful song no it's an it's in a wild thing there was a great indian king way back called yudhisthir and he went around the whole world and he said what was the most amazing thing you uh you 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 ever heard and as a teacher of mine jeffrey armstrong told the story and he said i went everywhere i saw everything and the amazing thing most amazing thing is that um everybody's going to die and nobody talks about it you know what i mean yeah or nobody's really aware of it and yet yeah it's, it's yeah we're all running down. away from it yeah something coming down it's, that's an interesting thing about the human species assuming we're the only one that really is aware of that it is a dilemma isn't it i mean do, does the bonobo know it? it's gonna it's coming you know well you know that that's an open question uh, there are animals that grieve elephants, elephants grieve, certainly sure. grieve yeah yeah and you see our you see pets grieve yeah when, when they lose uh, uh, they lose yeah i saw mm-hmm. one of my cats grieve actually mm-hmm. yeah so but uh it is interesting being human there's a lot of dilemmas so i like to give as i get older i like to give a lot more leeway to people uh, you know not to the point of absurdity but it's a challenging thing being in relationship trying yeah. to figure this stuff out you know and the yeah. political dance and making a living and so on and watching uh, you've got a your son's almost two he's two in a few days he's, actually. yeah yeah i mean watching uh a child grow up must I mean, it's not something I've done, you know, it's, it's one of the things in life, in this life I haven't experienced and, and I won't, but, uh, when I imagine it, I imagine it broadening that sense of compassion that, that, you know, seeing someone, how can I say it? Like when you look at someone, you don't just see the man you're talking to. You see the child. You see the old man. You see the whole spectrum of life. If you can do that, uh, you're 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 basically a, you're you're a yogi or a saint in the best uh, meaning of those terms. Or something. If you can actually see the world that way, if we see beyond the skin we're looking at, yeah. and we see so, the so-called soul of the atma, or we see the the journey there, we see this. We see the story coming at us is not just what we it seems to be. That's a great stance on life. I don't know if a child does that or not. I think what a child does, I think, because it's the most, uh, although it's. But isn't that how, like when my, my parents look at me, they see the baby, um, you know, as well as the man. Yeah, I guess, know? I guess they, they do. I've, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not old enough to have an older child to see the baby and the older <clears throat> right, child yet. Right. You know, with mm-hmm. the little, with, with little Booker, I just think that, um, that was Booker, not little bugger, little Booker. <laughs> I just think what happens is that it's such a, it's such a, 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 a it fuses so much joy that it's amazing to me. Although he's just yeah. turning, just for the first time ever, he didn't have a nap yesterday and he demanded pizza for dinner. Yeah. And that was interesting because he never demanded anything for, for dinner. And we, and we don't really have sort of a junk food situation here. So not that pizza is, the, my wife makes 
she's vegan. So Did she make say, pizza? Yeah, then? she made pizza. Really? And he <laughs> dropped it out in front of him and he chomped it up there. He's not even two. But uh, no nap either. He was just like, I'm older now. Well, I, I want to see what happens today. Yeah. Is it going to be no, pizza no, I All I know is late last night he smelled the cigarettes and the car was gone. You know, it was crazy. But uh, he uh, And beer tonight. But you know what? Back to your comment about the yeah. kid. What I think the kid, the child does is it brings up a, a, an unconscious psychology on some way, an unconscious energy that we don't know, and it starts to affect us in both uh, in difficult and inspiring ways. That we're not it's that it's within us our so-called id, and I and I, and I think it triggers that a lot because of just because of our past is so rich, our archaeology is so. But what you said, if you can see them as the boy, see people as what they really are, that we're this archaeology, and all we see is this tip of this iceberg. Mm. I'm mixing metaphors, but the tip of the iceberg and the bottom of the iceberg is what we really are, and that's always coming up, and it's always there. And we can't, we can't even understand that. We can't pinpoint it. Yeah. But it's unfolding all the time. I, I was, I was talking to you the other day, and I, I sometimes get a bit intense. And I was saying, you know, my intensity is 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 preordained. <laughs> like I might be frustrated with somebody, but I'm already frustrated. Right. I might be loving to somebody, but I'm already loving. I might yeah. be angry. It's sitting in that little in that free floating anxiety. Massive, yeah, and yeah. and pleasure and joy as yeah. well. It's in yeah. this huge it's archaeology. There. Yeah, and yeah. so to be able to sit with an awareness of that is can be freeing you know and kids trigger all kinds of wonderful things but yeah it's, for me it's been an amazing experience um i'm madly in love with them and 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 yet i think on different levels it, it plays on me and on my mind different sure. things mortality sure safety security all those all those lower reptilian ideas too come up yeah. how do i protect my child how do i so you see how do i protect my child you have a better understanding of the libertarian idea of the guys that are arming his house you can see it's an extreme version of right that. like right. i must protect this and similarly when you go to africa when when you've taken a man's child away from him like when the lra the, the you know joseph yeah. coins group comes in takes your child and cuts and, and cuts their hands off and takes them away it destroys everything that a man is on a certain level generally speaking not, not all people because the very essence of what perhaps is evolutionary um what, what's meant to be done evolutionary is gone he can't protect he, can't, he can't, hasn't got a job he's in a camp Everything is destroyed, and therefore a man tends to turn on the the next lowest on the ring of uh, for violence, and that's his partner. Generally speaking, yeah. I find under the under the most extreme pressures of life, like that we can I can't even imagine like those ones. Women hold the base better than men, uh, and I think it's because they, yeah. they hold a space by definition, and a man's ability to protect is gone, and that destroys him in a certain way. So I think. We do live with what you say, free-flowing anxiety, and it projects itself in so many ways yeah. that, that that you can just look at the world. And that's what we're seeing in our politics, in our discourse, in yeah. our fear and sex. It, we have this free-flowing anxiety to do with death, to do with life, to do with this mystery. And um, I don't know how to get a handle on it necessarily, but we have that. So therein lies the world. You know. Have, have we spoken about terror management theory? Have I ever mentioned that I, to you? I think we might have, but... It's a pretty interesting uh, area of research in psychology. The, the basic idea is that we all know we're going to die, but we develop psychological mechanisms for keeping keeping it under wraps, right? So we don't have to think about it and face that terror constantly. Um, but it still functions on a subconscious level. So they do research, for example, where they... they uh, they prime people uh so they'll they'll be on a street and they'll interview people randomly walking down the street you know asking them about how uh 
we should treat uh, criminals, someone, you know, commits this crime and that crime and, you know, illegal immigration. And, you know, what do you do you think um, black people are, you know, have a lower intelligence genetically and, you know, ask all these sort of racist and, and questions. Um, so they'll ask people walking down the street and get a set of answers and then they'll move a block further where they happen to be in front of a funeral home and they'll ask exactly the same questions and the answers are far more radical people are much more against outsiders much more um punitive about any sort of crime so exactly the same crime they'll you know 30 40 50 percent more prison time and you know whatever it is so people even subconsciously, without being aware of it, by being reminded of their own mortality, we get sort of nasty and, you know. And, sure, and, it uh, makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, you're under pressure. You put a bunch of rats it's, in a too small a cage. They, they start to act differently. It, it begs a yeah. question, too, with evolutionary <clears throat> biologists, the idea of that um, what is the evolutionary advantage of being aware of death? Like if we're just assuming for a second, I don't know it's true, that we're right. the only animal that really is super aware right. of death. What is the evolutionary advantage? Is it good or bad? Well, you see, you're, you're falling into a very common trap there, which is to assume there is an evolutionary advantage no, to but, anything but that, that I, exists. I didn't, fall, I didn't fall into the trap because I'm, I'm there. Right. I'm, 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 I'm leading that situation because I want to say, because for all we know also, that um, that we're beyond our... The idea, the, the trap is that we're evolving to something better. When in fact, of course, evolution hits a point where we go extinct, so it doesn't necessarily means something better we evolve yeah. to a certain place and then you eventually die off like right. every species has anyway right. or, or many species has and have and right. appears that way so no that that the question was was i think consciousness itself is probably an accident mm -hmm. i don't think i think even saying like what is the point of consciousness is already like going off the track I th there's a great uh, I, don't, I don't agree with that by the way but that's okay not the question I don't think evolution is an accident I think I, yeah I, I consciousness well, is an do accident, you know what an exaptation is an exaptation it's a great word it it means it it's like a byproduct of evolution it's the chin you know like we could talk all day about like what is the evolutionary purpose of the chin mm -hmm. it turns out there is none well it's I'm with you on that I'm with you on that idea that is a that's a futile discussion to me like I'm with you on that not yeah. having no, I don't know this might be futile too but that discussion <laughs> yeah, that their own what, we, what is the value of those of those uh, these vestigial you know I'm, I'm with you on that like I, the question was simply asked because of uh we do have that awareness right um, i don't i don't i don't think it uh, you know it's, it, it does well okay let's let's ask it another way but it's, what's the evolutionary advantage of believing in god that's that's an easy answer that, that well you, i think you live longer <laughs> well and not necessarily it depends on the god mm -hmm. you know a lot of you know people died in the crusades and yeah, for yeah. wars in which if they didn't believe religious, in god they wouldn't be there according to studies religious yeah. people that are religious tend to live longer in america, yeah, in america all else anyway. being equal all else being equal. yeah which it rarely is mm -hmm. but but the, the point is that that if you believe that neutralizes some of the negatives of knowing that you're going to die mm -hmm. right because you right although isn't it interesting that you know you've got all these at this point in history you've got like a lot of Muslim people who believe so much that they're willing to be suicide bombers. and But there aren't a lot of Christians that I know of anyway, who are at death's door and are happy about it. It is an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, again, in my, in my run this morning, I was, I was laughing and smiling about these things. We don't want to die. 
We just don't, unless you live the terrible life where you're in incredible pain and it's just too much, as a general, as a very general rule, and that is to say large majority, we just want to live. Yeah. And so- Is I, that because we don't really believe in heaven? It depends. I think it's because, you know, <clears throat> my friend Jeffrey Armstrong, he would say that's because that's evidence that we uh, are not meant to die, actually. In fact, there's an eternal aspect to us. And so that is what, if we were just matter, matter wouldn't have an issue with dying because matter by definition does that. And so it's an interesting argument or an interesting conversation idea, but I don't know. Or is really, it just is it just like comfort with like where we are, like little God, kids that don't want to sleep? I was, I was, I, my thought was that that I asked myself in the run this morning. It was a good run. Yeah. I said, "What's the difference between uh, in, a, in a bigger picture mur being murdered or dying by life? You know, just dying. Uh, ultimately, what is the thing? And and I don't like either of them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to believe in a different ultimate reality than that. You know, because I don't like either of those processes. Right. I, I really like to be alive, even under the torment of times, even under duress. And I've never had the kind of duress many millions of people have had. But I just there's something about the opportunity to have relationship and to converse and to be alive and to love and to be intense and to be creative that is so fantastic that I, 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 I it can't, it, it, for me, Personally, it can't be meaningless, and it's very, no, very non-random. I mean, when I don't live, a, I don't live a random life. I don't like, I don't like brush my ass. You know what I mean by live a random life. You know, I mean brush my ass. Yeah, I brush my teeth. If you said live a random <laughs> life, then you end up brushing your ass. We do things very methodically. How, why do we do things methodically and non-randomly in a random world? I, I have big hopes that it's not totally non-random. Uh, and as you. soon as some people hear that, they say, "You must be a religious fanatic." And I'm saying, "No, I'm not at all. And I'm not religious at all. I just..." I there's some sense of meaning that I think has meaning. I think life has meaning and I think the process yeah. does and I, and I and I stick with that. That's just what I feel. I don't have yeah. any proof of that. I'm not I have no realized, you know, yogi awakening with that. I just I just um I have I've not had felt the strength of the proof proof otherwise for me. Have you seen a film? I can't remember what it's called. Jeff Bridges, I think. He's in a plane crash and he walks away from it. Yeah, yeah. What was that called? I can't remember what it was called. It was that was 20 a years great ago, right? movie. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the most harrowing plane crash scene mm -hmm. I, I think I've ever seen in a movie. Mm -hmm. Remember, there's a child, he's a little kid, and I he holds, that, yeah. reaches out and holds the kid's hand yeah. when the plane's going down. Yeah, it's about life and death and beyond and all that and, stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Star something. Star Quest or Star something like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's one word. Mm -hmm. it, Starman. Wasn't it called Starman? Uh, or I don't think so. Jeff Bridges and that Jeff Bridges and, and and that sexy Latina actress and they they so meet right, at the right church. away it's worth living right away it's worth yeah living for you know well I I mean you plane know, crashes are a great metaphor too though aren't they they're terrifying with the thought of a plane crash it's a big deal you know what I mean like uh, with <laughs> thirty thousand feet above the ground and yeah. this crazy crazy machine and it's and it's pretty damn safe and if actually. something goes wrong it's probably going to go really really <laughs> yeah, wrong things are not going well now yeah just, there's there's no middle ground what to that wing? Dad, I saw a wing out there an hour ago Dad. yeah you know I, yeah. but anyway in the film he 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 walks away from this plane crash and. And I was thinking about this. The, actually, I, I went to see this Buddy Holly review uh, yesterday, I guess it was. And so I was thinking about plane crashes, right? And I was thinking about that movie. And, big bopper. Right. I was thinking about, you know, Waylon Jennings was supposed to be on that plane. Mm -hmm. He gave up his seat to uh, the, the yeah. Mexican guy. Mm -hmm. um, the Bomba. Da, 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 yeah, yeah. What's his name? I can't remember his name on my head. Uh, um, 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 I, you know, I'm 47. Yeah. For yeah. That's uh, come to me in about two minutes. Anyway, uh you know how how interesting it is the meaning we're talking about meaning right how interesting it is like you know you walk away from a plane crash everyone else is dead 
there's no way that's not meaningful to you. Richie the, Valens. Richie Valens. There's no way that is not going to be no. incredibly meaningful. There's a documentary right now, by the way, of 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 of, of single the, the single survivors from plane crashes. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I read about it recently. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from outside, you say, well, that's random, right? That's statistically, you know, whatever that happens occasionally. Now, neither one of those things is is false. Neither one of those things cancels out the other. I agreed. You know, so so this whole question of meaning really gets so Again, lost. Again, the terms it, are hopeless. And yeah, that's why, yeah. And that's why when I, I'm more offended by scientists pushing it than non-scientists because scientists should know the meanings are lost. That's why it's right. disturbing for me. Right. When, when a faith-based person says, I believe in there's meaning and God created everything, I go, yeah, it's no surprise you think that, pal. Right. I mean, you're also, right. you know, you're, you're, you're all kinds of, you know, right. tons of insults come to mind of, of, of the fundamentalist idea of that right. everything in the Bible is correct. It's based on it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. whatever. But when a scientist starts talking those terms, they, 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 they especially maybe to lay people maybe in their academia it's different I can't understand it but I find that to be disconcerting don't give me your agenda just give me your facts you know what I mean and so yeah and 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 with enough humility to recognize where your facts end mm-hmm. where factual mm-hmm. you know I think it was Stephen Jay Gould who said that that religion and science were uh, he had a word for it, like mutually exclusive magisteria or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. like and the, he got hammered by everybody after a while didn't he by you know? Richard Dawkins Big and time. Stephen Pinker in particular yeah um, regular listeners will note that I've got a hair up my ass about or bug up my ass about Stephen. Well, Pinker. you you felt that he he didn't use the uh, the scientific data correctly in 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 his expression of um, right. And I violence. think he's overt. I think he's got a, a very clear political agenda in his in his writing at least since the blank slate. And he doesn't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge mine. I've got an agenda. Everybody who writes a book has an agenda. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Otherwise, you don't bother writing the it's fucking all about book. Agenda. You know. So it's either you're upfront about it or you're not. Mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. think I am. It is interesting. I, I find. So Science, which I, I love science. I love reading about science. I love learning from science. Science is incredible. Every time someone has a heart problem or something, I always say, hey, never been a better time to have a heart problem right. because it's no better time for how to car accident. Never had a better time to have a car accident. Oh, jeez. I'll, I'll bet people just love it when you come well, along. They, I, hey, lucky you. <laughs> you lucky son of a guy. No, I just say, you know what I mean? Like my dad, for instance, had a heart surgery 10 years ago. Never been a better time except maybe 10 years later because yeah. the, the, the rates and the, the success of that, of course, now in the hospitals of C. difficile and all that kind of stuff. But let's not get morbid now. Oh, not now. But anyway, I I was going to say, um, I find I find that the the, the, the the interesting about science is I find religion has this huge lumbering dogma to it that never you can't break through it until centuries later you might break through right. it because they just the force of right. this, you know, this people despising what they've had to live through breaks through finally right. like some sort of crumbling edifice and the, the, or, the Pope goes priests okay, fuck hundreds of children kids. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's beyond belief yeah. what science has is its own dogma they and they say they don't have dogma they just fix the thing but they have they hold the dogma for a little while it frustrates me and then they break through the dogma much faster that's the beauty of science to me in other words when i was a kid you couldn't have ever said that um, anatomically modern man is two hundred thousand years old you would have been laughed out of Mm. any kind of institution at right. all and that's what right. it is now right. but that's fair enough if they, say, if they say there's no facts for it but they laid down the facts that 30 or 40,000 years ago right. we right. found Cro-Magnon man um, you know anatomically yeah. modern human beings and it's, it was so firm to me I, it had to be firm because I read it in a life book I had, yeah. a, little, I had a little life book with a skull yeah. in front of it might not have been totally academic but I find that in so many of those fields yeah. that if you fi- if, you're, if the oldest bone you find is 200,000 years old of a modern human being the chances are there's older bones than that oh. they, they should have some sort of test Over- Overwhelmingly likely. Overwhelmingly. You're not going to find the oldest thing. Exactly. Of so course. But if someone says now that modern man 
so-called anatomically modern human yeah. beings goes back to a million years you're laughed out of the uh, out of the park and yet they yeah. found bones from 200,000 years yeah. now I mean I know there's a lot of other yeah. gene things and I'm and believe me I apologize for my idiocy in these areas because it's profound idiocy well but, the point is that even the the people who are most well read in these areas have to have a lot of humility mm -hmm. you know because what we don't know mm -hmm. is so much oh, I, I larger this, than what, what we, we do about e. wilson and richard dawkins the expansion of the idea of the gene right. the idea of epigenetics right where where environment has an influence on genes over time right uh, and, and uh, in this certain almost lamarckian way i think that stuff's so beautiful that's right. what i mean by even forgetting meaning and non-randomness and randomness i just mean the whole matrix yeah, it infuses itself and teaches itself in this universe that we cannot grasp right. in our little way. And I love right. not being able to grasp it. I love that people can't grasp it right. because that's some part of that is that there's magic and there's mystery in those little areas in those in those massive areas. My my joke is that if if you and I had an exam, I think I've said this to you before. If you guys had a we had the test, who's smarter, Dr. Christopher Ryan or a dropout Pete McCormick? We'd have a test, and it turns out that Christopher Ryan got eighty five point three percent on the exam, and I got sixty two percent. So Chris is smarter than I am. He knows more than I do. But if we had an exam of of what we don't know i truly believe we're like in a dead heat with a turnip we're all at zero the expanse yeah. of what we don't know is so great yeah and not it's not um, we're not almost there to solve this problem like science <laughs> thinks we've almost got a unified principle yeah we are so far from that yeah. and yet that doesn't that's not an insult to science that what science has discovered and uncovered through sort of deconstruction is remarkable but man we are living in a, we're on a, some sort of crazy spaceship hurtling through uh the cosmos in ways that are absolutely incomprehensible and yeah. i can't and, I, and even in, with all that i can't find my keys in the morning you know like it's outrageous so <laughs> just don't brush your ass yeah, you know? <laughs> i mean you know i mean if you have a hairy ass you generally don't brush it and if you do it's not a. Oh, by the way and if you brush your ass it's, it's, but, it's, but it's not a random thing when you choose to do it either it's, it's i mean it's a non-random choice generally <laughs> speaking you know what i mean like i like to brush my ass i like a little part on the side I like, <laughs> you know as you get older it's funny i'm starting to use like back hair to pull over on the top of my head now you're you know, doing a yeah. back hair comb I'm, over I'm, 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 that's, that's a good look. You didn't even know until I just told you, you know? <laughs> that's true. You know, I had so it's a, it, this is nose hair. These bangs are nose hair, my friend. But um, where do we go from there? Uh, where, where do, do we go? go? Here? Do, right. do, 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 you know where we go to? Where? Sex drive. Turn on the turn truth. Turn on the truth. I'm telling you. Yeah. And if it, so we're going to take it to Hollywood and see if, if any uh, executives are, are crazy enough to throw a bunch of money at us. We're, we're, we're kind of. With no conditions. <laughs> <laughs> you give us lots of money we'll do exactly what we want to do and we'll talk to you later <laughs> and we'll get back to you we'll yeah. yeah but we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll after we go to vegas after we go to vegas uh, no, what about your screenplay? Are you, you want to talk about that at all? I'm excited about that. The, but, um, I'm excited um, about it, it's too. It's called Brink, and it's about... Uh, it's a, No, I'm not. Let's not talk about it yet. It's gonna, let's, let's just foist it on the American public one day. Right. Can we even uh, like a hint about what it's about? Or sure, you, actually. I, sure. It's, 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 it's sort of like the West Wing meets... Uh, something in the On the, the road. On the road, for sure. And, and it's what's... What, where, it's, what will America be in 20 years? Yeah. Say, you know? And where will we be at? And, and it's not a negative... It's not apocalyptic only it's also like how creative can we be in the moment to, to yeah it's not really and, apocalyptic it's sort of pre-apocalyptic but exactly. it's it's definitely it's, it's not necessarily even close to the apocalypse it's just like these, it's you know, just financial. trends we see now mm -hmm. uh played out 20 years from now it's in been, a very interesting way thanks and those are really fun to write i'm gonna i'm, I'm really I, I really hope that gets made just just so i can watch it i mean man that'd be fun man it's called brink
Brink. So uh, turn on the truth. Turn on the tr- <laughs> everything's turn on the truth. Uh, turn on no. It's 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 more it's more egocentric than that. It's Brink. Turn on my truth. Yeah. Turn you on know? my. I've got an agenda. <laughs> have I got an agenda for you? Maybe that's um, what I'll call the podcast. Christopher Ryan and his agenda. Or or have I, have I got an agenda for you? Dot com. You know that's not bad. <laughs> that's kind my, of my agenda. Dot com. You know. Yeah. My dangerous agenda. I think we found what you uh, need to do. Dangerous, dangerous agenda. agenda. Yeah. 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 Out of the box. So uh, uh, what else? What else did I want to ask you about? Oh. Another, you have any documentaries or anything in the future there, or you want to look things? I mean, work ours, more on is, TV ours, ours is high priority. I'm doing right. something with Daniele Bolelli, uh, professor of history. In, in and what's that uh, called? In, it's called Badass History. Badass History. Yeah, and we're pushing that, and it's it's um, uh, it's the uh, adventures of one crazy bastard at war with boring history, and that's going to be that could be really uh, fun. He's a he's a really interesting guy, and I'm working on a few other things, trying to develop um ongoing uh uh series that 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 expand the way we think actually you know but uh it's been such a great uh thing uh producing our our show uh, yeah getting it going it's been fun getting, yeah. the, getting the getting the ideas and the, and the stories and the and the and the multiple um uh episodes ready to go i think we're gonna i think we're and it we're, it's going to be fun. You'll be great. I'm excited about you getting on TV and, and, and again, forcing your agenda down Rick's on Torm's throat. I think uh, I'm going to force something down his throat. <laughs> God love it. Rick, I hope you're sleeping well today. I hope you've given up on your presidential bid because it's over. Um, but Ron Paul also squished out of the Republican convention. Yeah, like, it, it, it was almost like a hurricane was coming their way and they squished yeah, you know, Ron Paul yeah, out. Pushed I, him out of the shelter. It's a shame to me that they don't have Ron Paul in that discussion much more. He, he just gives, brings some life to it, for God's sakes. At least he says what he thinks he says some crazy things like you know that medicine you know healthcare can be done through charity that that's how absurd if you think about it because it's one thing to get a you know get a, a cheap uh, a cheap you know um check you know a cheap what dental overview, checkup, checkup yeah. or a pap smear or something yeah. and, you know maybe i don't know if that's cheap but anyway i need but quadruple bypass that's yeah. a tough charity one yeah. to me. that's where it gets kind of weird to me and stuff yeah. but uh he has some interesting ideas about liberty that i think are that are cool and and you, you know, know my literary agent represents ron paul is that right ron paul me and uh uh larry flint Wow, that's something, that's the, that's a, that's a, I like your agent already. Yeah, exactly. That guy never stops exactly. reading. Exactly, interesting, Flint, interesting Larry choice. Flint, huh? Yeah, as well as a bunch of other people. Uh, um, Berman, was it Mark Berman? Yeah, or, yeah. the yeah. writer. Yeah, uh, Wandering God, mm-hmm. great book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Morris Berman is that what his name is? I think it's. I mean, Mark Berman's the guy from uh, from yeah. Mark Berman was the guy that did the the the, the, the problem with the OJ case, the police officer. That was Mark. Oh, Berman. oh, yeah, not him. <laughs> not him, no. right? No, yeah, Morris yeah. Berman. The ta- yeah, he tampered with he tampered with uh, with uh, the uh, evidence. I think was Mark Berman, maybe Furman. Mark Furman. For, yeah, Furman. the racist. He was sort of a racist. Yeah. Yeah, or at least depicted now as a racist. Now we're getting into Yosemite Sam's like Furman. You know? Did you hear? Uh, now, uh, way off topic. OJ. Oh, yeah. Apparently, I read recently that maybe OJ actually is innocent. That is, I his son. son. I did it. Yeah, and he was covering you, for his I, son. Maybe it's, I have no idea. The glove was too small. Does the son have a smaller hand? That's the question. But you know what's interesting about that? When I was when I was younger, like I'm 47 now, when I was about 20, I read everything on JFK. You know, and what what you come to, what you conclude from that with the assassination is that whatever you read was enough. Oh, the mafia did it. I just read the book. The the, the evidence is so conclusive. And then you right. read, oh, it's Castro. Castro did it. Oh, you know. Uh, 
It look, look, it's definitely was uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. He definitely was behind this thing. Oh, it's definitely the CIA did it, nor the Russians did it. Finally, I just think, I think he might have killed himself. <laughs> he just said, that you're all a bunch of idiots, and in the car, he suddenly shot himself. From a and, distance. Or the point being is, the joke, all jokes aside, it's just like, it's, evidence is a weird trip, huh? I mean, you can yeah. gather it and yeah. smother it and twist yeah. it, and it's so, with my little pinhead, it just rivets me. Was like that it. film 12 Angry Men? 12 Angry Men, Henry Fonda. You recommended that, yeah, yeah. and I watched that, and that's a great Pretty example funny. of that. Early, you early, think early. you know exactly what's what, and then yeah, things... Yeah. It is a cool film. Pull a thread. And Very whoa. early Sidney Lumet, too, who did a lot of great films. Yeah, he died just recently. Just recently. He's, I, he's yeah. one of my favorite directors. He was such a clean director. Did he you do know? M.A.S.H.? No, he didn't do MASH, but he, I don't think he did MASH, but he did uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, great movie. Which I love. Oh, he, and God. he did uh, not as well-known a film, although uh, River Phoenix got an Academy Award nomination and I think was called Running on Empty about yeah, about a family that. That, was, that, that had blown up a building, a Pentagon building or something in the 70s. It was, it was fictional, but and killed someone accidentally in there and then was on the run. There was a bunch of, a lot of, a lot of the, the sort of the you know the weathermen and the, those movements from the early late 60s in America ended up being underground for 10 or 15 right. years it had, Judd Hirsch was the lead in it but it was really, really good it's called huh. Running on Empty breaks my heart every time I see it huh. um, so uh, but he was a great director huh. you know Sidney Lumet Sidney Lumet not Lumet not Lumet. I, I probably called him Lumet for the first few years that I've done. You know, when I was a kid, I thought patience was patty and So, you know, things things happen like that. <laughs> Monopoly. 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 I, uh, you know, in, in economics class in grade 11, oligopoly. It sounds like something in, in uh, a sea creature in the Okanagan Lake in Canada. If yeah. you're Canadian, you understand the reference to the oligopoly. I, I wrote a paper my freshman year in college. Uh, where I said something about it being a doggy dog world. <laughs> and the professor actually read it in front of the class. And uh, Mr. Ryan here thinks it's a doggy dog world. I, I thought it was a doggy dog world. I didn't. A friend once said to me, I can't stand people that aren't eloquent. And I didn't. No. I can't stand people that aren't eloquent. I didn't even. I couldn't even say anything. Speaking of a lack of honesty, That's I couldn't funny. come clean and say it's, it's eloquent. You've got to learn that when you say that, you know. Well, Casilda, you know, English is like her sixth or seventh language. She she comes up with lots of good ones. You can forgive it already, though. Sixth or oh, seventh language. You know what yeah, I mean. I mean but uh, one of my favorites is she talks about someone having low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's right because low self-esteem leads to low steam. Because I know that who's ever you been... You can just hear the steam coming it, out. It's coming such out. A, that's a great metaphor, though. You low self-esteem. Boy, you know, yeah. that's just, just don't say I hate stupid people. You know what I mean? Because it just doesn't look good when you say, you know. So uh, w one last thing that Peter and I have in common, we both grew up in Beaver Falls. In, in different countries, though. Isn't that in crazy? In places close to Beaver Falls. And, but, and I even fished in Beaver Creek. I lived in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania as a kid. And, and I lived in Beaver Falls, British Columbia. Well, just outside of Beaver Falls. I lived in Montrose, which was just about five miles from Fruitvale. And, and it's just a hop and a skim and jump from trail. Did anyone, but, uh, did anyone call it fever balls when you were a kid? Damn. And I see, missed that. See, that's I? Americans that. are just a little more clever than they, the Canadians. <laughs> you know what, that's I mean, why we're number one, <laughs> in case you, know, you were wondering. Yeah, not an infant mortality rate, my friend. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know what's funny is that people don't, the Americans don't know how many comedians are actually Canadian. Oh, I, mean, how much I know. Canadians are around Jim Carroll. Bill Murray, was it? Bill Murray, no, Bill Murray's not Canadian. Actually, oh, but he feels like it for some Gilda reason. Gilda Radner? Uh, no, either, but uh, no, oh, not either. John geez. Candy, for instance. Um, Jim Carrey, um, Mike Myers. Mike Myers, yeah. It goes on and on, actually. Actually, of these people that uh, that are famous Canadians in America, people don't know this, but Wayne Gretzky is Canadian. Really? <laughs> no, they all know it. he's Canadian. <laughs> 
But um, what a treat to be here! Yeah, I see. I see a big. I see a. I see a, a long docu series in our future where the fans yeah. demand shows and we put them on the air and then we yeah. then we have a big mile long walk on Washington and so on. Well, we've got we're we're at a, an hour. 16 minutes oh, people, so, are, so, people tuned out before that last people have already <laughs> arrived wherever they were going yeah. or they people have tuned back in thinking it's a second podcast you know these guys <laughs> are, these guys have these speaking of blowing steam you know yeah, what I mean? self-steam <laughs> well listen thank you very much for joining us always and, a pleasure uh, my friend <laughs> <laughs> I think neither one of us actually believes way, anyone will ever it, listen to this. Let's finish with this. Get we? the fuck out of my kitchen, okay? <laughs> right. God love you. All right. Hey, wait. Weren't you going to play a song? You know, I would have, but I said, if you go over one and hour and 15, I'm not playing. <laughs> well, but no. Our case no, is right no, there. I, I pulled a muscle in my... In I'll, my I'll pause my, it. I pulled, I'll, the, I'll, I pulled, the, the, muscle, I pulled the muscle in my strumming hand, you know? Oh, man. All right. Well... <laughs> next time. All right. Time. You know... I'll send a song. Send your emails demanding that Pete sings a song. And there's so much we didn't talk and, about and your topics your episode topics as well send that too you know we'll talk about that we, we didn't talk about your wife and her projects oh we should mention Oprah that right thing. now my god yeah, yeah. she might my, my, right, mention my it yeah because uh, we've got some, dozens of listeners some, here that some, are gonna... <laughs> dozens maybe maybe a, maybe a, maybe a baker's <laughs> dozen is out there you know um my beautiful wife samantha reynolds uh her website is bentlily.com this is a poetry site she's written a, a poem a day for <clears throat> about 800 straight days now or something. unbelievable yeah, I, I get the email every day it's like chris it's, it's chris, a wonderful Chris insight when he reads them sometimes Some, no. tell you what it's honestly I know the other day know. when she was reading mm-hmm. uh, we did this shoot and mm-hmm. she was on camera and I was just sitting there trying to be quiet I was tearing up. I felt the same way, and it was the death one, wasn't it? About about old an old man in, in the restaurant there. Oh, and that, the that his thing. thoughts were coming I into can't her remember head. The, if I was a great husband, I'd remember the title right now, but I can't remember. It, but it's beautiful, and she gets these letters like, and I've been writing my whole life like like a dog. I've written novels, I've written screenplays, I've written and published novels, published novels. Yeah. And I get I get very little mail for these things, and Sam gets these emails like, I haven't felt anything for forty two years, and my whole family's long gone, and I've I've lost all my legs and seven arms. I can't oh breathe and I don't my life is terrible it's from Gregor Sampson until I read your poem this morning I, I, I feel alive again I want to oh thank you for that. and I'm like How yeah. do, what kind of email you write yeah. your own email here what's going yeah. on and she writes you know? the poem in like 12 seconds <laughs> I know just before bed in a state of exhaustion with yeah. a child and yeah. she's a brilliant beautiful woman and you, and you know you know who's going to love and I love poems. little Booker too she brought the most beautiful child into my life well and, and, and a lot of the poems are about this experience of watching him turn into a person right and man I mean well that's the thing about a poetry oh poetry is God. really not about how low or high she is it's really an observation on little little bits it's, she calls it noticing your life and it's right. a practice for her to try to just say keep her life sort of tender and alive and juicy yeah. uh, things that I've obviously not been able to bring to her and uh, <laughs> so she writes these so she, she she fills the gap I've I left in 15 minutes at night you know what I mean <laughs> which is a, actually an interesting 15 minutes now you appear in some of the poems you know like like where she says, uh, what would she call you? Reliable as a floor or something like that? <laughs> I don't know, but it didn't sound right. You know, it didn't <laughs> sound. I'll tell you what, my steam ran out of me like <laughs> my self-esteem. But the favorite one I like when she does mention one time when she gets splattered by the, uh, by the, by the blender in one of the poems, like she's making something splatters all over her, and I just didn't know what to do. So I just said, that blender's an asshole. And that made the poem. So I thought that was, I felt touched by that. Yeah. yeah. I, she's a she great, was pissed off about something. Oh yeah. Something. And so she's going to be in, she's going to, they're going to feature an Oprah magazine, on, Oprah magazine. In, in November. 
longer, I think. So, and uh, is the video going to be? Is that for her site or? She's doing it. She's doing it. She's doing an e-course on how to on how to notice your life a little more. Right, and it's and, free. And it's free. I don't know what if it's free. I don't know how it works. I don't yeah. know the detail of it. It's parts of it are definitely free. Right, but uh, she's putting that all together, and um, uh, you know, she's just she's she inspires me, man. So what's the website so, again? But Chris, so do you, man. And this is really getting emotional for me right now. Your um, her, her website is bentlily.com. Bentlily.com. This is how Sam's got such good fortune in her life. You come on here with no name for your situation. You're not sure. On your own podcast, you haven't got a name to tell people to go to. I, I'm, I My website hasn't been touched in 45 years. We finished the show building her up to like as into the into the realms of the goddesses with her website yes she's good man yeah, she's, she's so she's good. got us working for her and she's not even here ah well, oh, well. god I love you chris it was it's been such a great summer man i'm sorry you're leaving vancouver it's depressing me right now so well, come come down. visit in la I'll yeah, I'm gonna, we are because we're gonna see we're gonna meet the suits my friend That's we're gonna go we're gonna go yeah. tell the suits what's gonna what be fun all right. Well, thank you for listening to our, our As Yet Unnamed Pog. By the time the people are listening to this, it will, will have, have a, a name. name. Which makes us look even stupider. I know. Here, you know it's, what I mean? Today's August 28th. So you're listening to this really in the ben future. How about really How about something like that? You know? <laughs> ben, <laughs> ben the other way. All right. Thanks a lot. And we're going to fade out with that wonderful song. Fade out from song. Canada, right? This is, might be the last one from Canada. This is the last podcast from Canada. All right. Rock and roll. Thanks. Bye. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up or give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Think about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.